Tim Curry is a seasoned senior IT executive with a strong track record of successfully growing IT professional service markets and practices. He possesses specialized knowledge in IT governance and compliance, demonstrating his expertise in ensuring effective management and adherence to industry regulations. Tim's proficiency extends to areas such as cloud SaaS adoption and innovation, Amazon Web Services, and social IT adoption, enabling him to drive impactful outcomes and complex IT initiatives. So how do you see, I mean, I, I was looking at the WePro, and I mean, it's it's too big to describe in a single sentence. It's because that that isn't it isn't pretty big. I mean, it covers a lot of ground. It's a um, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's what they call a global systems integrator or a GSI that can do just about anything uh, from a technology perspective that most larger enterprises require. Right. So everything from um, from outsourcing and managing. Uh, an, an IT footprint or, you know, all, all the IT activities that, that underpin um, a company that's in healthcare, life sciences, or, you know, uh, insurance and banking, financial services, manufacturing, you name it. Um, but, you know, one of the, one of the, you know, like I said, outsourcing and managed services, project work, you know, on achieving particular outcomes, um, collaborative engineering, around um, developing new products and services um, and then you know domain consulting around actual business processes and you know changing the customer experience for a patient or a retail customer across you know all sorts of channels and, and networks so it's it's like you mentioned it's very vast and you know, I, that's a very quick kind of soundbite on what a global system most global system integrators do um, my role at Wipro is a little bit unique for me. Um, Wipro is a is a is an Indian based uh, uh, outsourcer. Originally, that's how they got their start 20, 30 years ago, and they've been becoming and driving. Uh, you know, first of all, they've been acquiring other companies and other talent so that they can be broader and go up stack and and more broader to their customers. Right, so they can do things like. Uh, we acquired a company called Design It, which does experience management, right? So, you know, the whole working backwards workshop that that dive into your, let's say, your customer experience across both digital and omnichannel. Um, we acquired a very high-end financial services management consulting firm called Capco. So these different acquisitions allow us to to broaden our capability and our reach. And part of my role is as it relates to our cloud business, so adoption of new technologies from AWS, Microsoft, Google, in some cases, uh, Oracle, VMware. Um, my role is in, my my the organization I belong to is responsible for driving the new Wipro branding, the new Wipro go to market, the new Wipro um, method of delivery. So. Inherently, there's a lot of organizational change there. The mission of, of, of the group is uh, the chief growth office is very, um, very focused on organizational change. Uh, tactically, what I do day to day is is dive into those areas where we're engaging. Um, and because of my background in uh, in the cloud ecosystem, in the cloud provider ecosystem from Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, 
um, I'm able to bring a, a lot of both relationships, context, and knowledge of that world that help us organize our sales teams to go put put, the, put themselves in the best position for the customer. Okay. Wow. That's that's a lot. It's a lot. In addition to taking out a doctorate, what inspired you to do that? So I've had about a 20-year um, career in mostly boutique and mid-tier consulting companies, um, as well as some stops along the way um, in uh, actually having a, uh, being a director in an IT organization. And most of those situations were very high growth. Um, and so I realized at a late point in my career that a lot of what I've been doing and a lot of the reason for my success where I have been doing it, uh, kind of centered around organizational change, you know, either driving it internally for the company I, or the organization I was working with or helping, um, helping clients be change agents and either drive or, you know, adjust and react to, um, to the need for disruptive and organizational change. So if you think about it, when you grow a company from 50, 60 people to 400, um, that's a whole lot of organizational change. Yeah. Um, and, and along with that, when it, you know, private equity based, uh, say back consulting company, a lot of times you're asked to, um, to move upwards in the market. So where you might've gotten your start with, you know, tech forward, mid tier, uh, organization, mid market organizations, the board might want you to, to adjust and sell to enterprises, right? Which is sometimes a good idea, sometimes not. But when you try it, when you do it, it 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 drives you to to adjust and change your whole the way you deliver, the way you go to market, the way you see yourself, the way you identify as an organization. And um, doing that over and over again got me thinking: Hey, this whole organizational change thing is pretty central to almost everything I do. So um, maybe that's what I should be what I should be looking at. So that's that's kind of how I came around to it. Wow. That's incredible. It almost sounds like you could be teaching that class instead of <laughs> taking, taking yeah, one. Well, well nah, some days, but you know, that's, that's the interesting thing about, about, um, being part of a doctor program is everyone, everyone there is bringing those same type of, you know, rich, rich, and usually lengthy, uh, experience to, 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 to bear. And a good part of, almost every, you know, most of it is online. Um, but a good part of, of, of a, a good, um, uh, a number of the conversations is, Hey, you know, I'm a professor. I bring a certain point of view. You all bring all kinds of experience. So once you all, you know, you end up talking to each other, which ends up uh, being a really coverage rich experience for, for a doctor program. And as in septo, that's, that's very cool. Um, well, and I know I just kind of jumped right in there, but it was, it was curious to me, like what it looked like you had already been accomplishing this. So I was, I was interested in what drove you to the doctorate program, but did you grow up in the Chicago area? I was looking at your background. looks like, uh, you kind of, yeah, no, I, career there. I've been here for, I've been here for 20, 20 plus years. I grew up, I grew up in the Midwest from Detroit, originally to the Detroit area. Uh, lived all over, like a lot of folks, right? I lived in Boston. I lived in San Francisco in the Bay Area for a while. Um, 
other places, other stops in the Midwest when I was younger. But by the time I was 25, I was, I was in Chicago and, uh, that's, that's generally, I guess I'm from there now. My family's from there. <laughs> so that, <laughs> they think they're from the there. I know Our kids think Alabama's home. So every time we talk about, you know, going home, uh, they're like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, uh, I guess the whole purpose of, of this for me is to really get to talk to top performers from different industries with different skill sets and um, kind of learn about what brought you there, why you're excited about what you're doing, you know, what, what keeps you where you are right now as far as why you're motivated to, to, you know, attack what you're doing and, and how you use mindset and other tools, because not every day equal. <laughs> um, no, uh, no, it's not. And yeah. you know, a, a doctorate program, just like any other, it's, it's, a, it's a commitment just like anything else, right? It's going to demand, um, you know, if you have a family, they're going to demand a certain amount of time. And, um, you know, your your day job is going to demand a certain amount of time. I also am a part owner in a small brewery in Wisconsin. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, and that that demands a certain amount of time. But I I think you know one of the things actually one of the things uh, one of the courses that I took as part of this program, uh, and it's at it's uh, University of Southern California, so it's at USC. It's in the Rosier School of Education, so it's an EdD in education with a focus on organizational change. And one of the things you one of the courses we took is um, learning and motivation uh, through through the lifespan, right? So how does you know, how does a toddler learn versus how an adolescent learns versus how, you know, someone in midlife learns. And one thing that sort of, um, that crystallized for me is that, that, you know, as you get older and as you become more specialized in your career and your interests, uh, learning becomes a much more intentional act, right? The things that you have time for, make time for, um, they, they become less, one, they become less of a chore. You get better at it. And you're at this point in, in your career, hopefully you, you're very good at self-regulation. So that you're the, what you're really looking for are people to, you know, give you opportunities to learn, to dive into things, to learn different contexts and frameworks. And then obviously there's the collaboration, as I mentioned earlier. So it's a little bit different. I mean, I had, I, you know, I remember taking physics when I was in high school and, um, I, you know, to this day, I still don't know how I got through it. Right. I, Cause I just didn't care. Right. I wanted to play, you know, whatever sport I was playing at that time and go out and, you know, whatever, do whatever it is that adolescents do that occupies, you know, 98% of their brain. Um, but now, you know, I read a book by Neil deGrasse Tyson, and it's really, it's really interesting. And I, and I'm like, why wasn't this interesting when I was 17, right? Because, you know, you only have so much. You know, there's there's a concept of cognitive load. You only have you only have so much room uh, in your attention span uh, and your brain power to, to focus on something. And so, unfortunately, when you're an adolescent, 90% of everything is ex what they call extreme load, which takes, which is, you know, kind of like prevents you or distracts you from learning and concentrating. So, 
Um, so yeah, so now as, as you know, uh, someone who's whatever middle-aged or whatever I am, uh, an older learner, it becomes, e it becomes easier from the perspective of, you know, what you need to do, you know, how to regulate yourself, both your time and attention. Um, and at this point, if you're spending the time and energy on something, it's your passion, right? So, I mean, as much as I do not want to get on, you know, a zoom class at, uh, 8 PM on a Wednesday, which is sometimes when it happens or heaven forbid, you know, at noon on a Saturday, uh, right. You know, right during college football season, um, you know, about 10 minutes in, you know, you, you're, you're a little bit revitalized and you come out of it sort of, sort of fired up and, and energized because you've engaged that muscle that's been, you know, that's been kind of sitting in the background versus all the other stuff you do all week. So, um, you know, and it aligns, like I said before, it, it aligns with the things that make me good at what I do during my day job. So, um, you know, when, when you're in a disruptive market, well, as I seemingly, certainly for the last 10, 12 years, I've been in a very disruptive market. Everything I've done has been around, you know, platforms like ServiceNow or Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud and IoT and connected devices and manufacturing 2.0. And so I've had the, the benefit of being kind of on the front end of a lot of these things. So you're always learning and, and you're always, you know, looking for pattern recognition and things that make you more valuable to your company and to your clients. Um, but it, it's all new, it's all new neur neural pathways almost all the time. Right. So a lot of this comes, I can fold this back into my day job in a way that's really, uh, really satisfying. And it makes a lot of sense, it, especially when you compared, you know, you took physics in high school and it just did not grab your attention, but other than motion and movement, it, you really didn't probably relate to what you were being taught as easily as you can get so much more experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I kind of, you know, I kind of got how, you know, uh, an object, you know, orbits around another object, how they applied it to the space program. But, you know, I just, it just wasn't interested. Right. And, and now every, if you're going to take the time to learn something, you're going to be, you're going to be interested. Um, <laughs> so just imagining maybe one of my kids who's a teenager in high school would listen to this <laughs> without me forcing them to what brought you from that, you know, the, the, the kid in high school who, who didn't give a hang about physics to someone who was driven to stay on that cutting edge of cloud services and just, you know, kind of wrapping your arms around this business model. Yeah. I think, I think that, um, <laughs> that's a really big question because, um, I don't think there's, I think you find, I don't think, question. <laughs> well, I, well, I don't think there's any way to imagine as, as the father of two teenage girls myself who, who think I know absolutely nothing and take <laughs> my advice. Um, I can, I can tell you firsthand, there's no magic wand to, you know, to wave, to take, to change someone's motivation. Right. So, you know, there are, there are kids in high school who, I mean, I was a reasonably good student. Right. Um, but I was intellectually curious. Right. So there were the things that interested me, I, I focused on and the things that didn't, I didn't. And it, luckily, some of that was academic, <laughs> and being a good student was in my in the house that I grew up in. Was my dad was a teacher, um, 
you know, I was the youngest of eight kids, so I got to see a lot of other people's experiences as I grew up. So I, I don't think there's any magic wand, but I think that um, one, like exposure and role models are really important. So my sister owned a software company. So by the time I graduated college, um, she, she all, she kind of said, well, you know, come on out. And, um, this kind of how I got my start is that she said, do you have any basic programming experience? I'm like, yeah, I learned how to, I learned how to program just, you know, what you normally learn in high school in college. And so she's like, well, you know, you can be on my team and, you know, we have some projects. You can't see how it's done. And so at a very young age, I got to see sort of how computer like technology consulting is done and to a lesser degree like the, the ins and outs of being a contractor and it all seemed very basic to me um and i got it and but i also learned really quickly that my my talents were in explaining and you know selling but explaining and demystifying the work that was being done so i kind of knew by the time i graduated college i was going to be in sales and technology sales um, so that I think fast path me past a whole lot of stuff that would have learned going to work for, oh, you know, maybe I would have gone to work for, you know, Accenture or somebody. Um, and so I was very quickly into the, into the startup game and then it just kind of flowed from there. Um, so I, you know, I think it's more about finding out what you're interested in and why and having enough exposure to enough things so that you can, you can have the opportunity you know, to be interested and engaged. But I also think that, you know, trying to find um, the, the, the role models, if not mentors, at least role models that show you kind of like, this is what good looks like. This is how it's done. This is how it gets done. This is how you get into there. Um, starts, it starts to click things into place for you when, for, for people who are younger, I think. I think that's why internships are so valuable. Well, now that everyone's remote, I'm not sure internships are even, you know, a thing anymore. But I mean, when, when you used to bring an intern into an office, it was, yeah. you know, for a, the summer interns, it was great because one, they, they brought a certain level of energy to any environment, even a young sort of startup environment. But they also, like, they learned, they saw the interplay of people within an office between different departments and customers. And they saw like how things got done outside of. Um, just learning, even you you can learn whatever you want online or in school, but, but until you put it into practice, until you put it into practice in an organization with other people, you know, like that was what being an intern meant. Um, now, unfortunately, that's, uh, I don't, I don't, I think a lot of that opportunity is gone because you don't have an office environment anymore, but, oh, or I, I shouldn't say that most of the, most of the companies that I would have grown up in no longer have office environments. So um, that's going to be hard. I know what you mean. I, I definitely don't. I'm sure we will figure it out, but it, it's, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I, you know, not to sound too negative about it, but I, I don't think I would have learned as quickly as I did remotely. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't been able. I don't think any to listen on as quickly as it used to. And, and um, yeah, and like, I'm, like I said, you know, I I don't need 
you know, I'm, I'm not on a mission to go. Most people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my early fifties and I've got a lot of friends and, uh, I have my social circles and I have my career and my specialties and my commitments and my family. Right. So, um, but when I was 25, I needed to be, I mean, I don't know what they do now. Right. Do they just, you know, kind of like work zoom and game and, and swipe. And is that their, is, is that the level of their <laughs> interactions? I don't know. I mean, in fact, the work that I'm doing, you know, my dissertation in my doctorate program is going to be around building trust in a, in a remote workplace. Um, because I think right now we're all trusting on, we're all trading on trusted relationships we built when we were all face to face, but three to five years from now, when a complete organization, a complete department is built of people that have only communicated like this as, as fun and engaging as this can be. Um, I, I don't think the human race, I don't think Western civilization has established lifelong trusted relationships this way ever. So, um, and you need those, you need formal and informal networks within your organization to be successful and succeed. And, um, there's a tremendous amount of identity and belonging that comes from being part of an organization and, and the culture that you, that until, you know, 24 months ago or 36 months ago was always built within, you know, face-to-face -face cultures, um, work cultures. So, um, I don't, maybe, it, maybe something else evolves. You know, um, if I were incredibly cynical, I would say we're going to become a gig economy and no one's going to care about anything. Um, and that might, that might actually drive someone to say, no, like that's a different kind of business. The business we're running, we, you know, we're, we're face to face or in the office, but when your customers aren't in the office either, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's, you know, that's a big, it's a big deal. So, uh, it's a big change for, for the, for the culture and society as we know it. So. That, those are some of the things that I'm kind of, and you can tell, you can tell that I geek out about it as I'm talking about it. Those are some of the. No, it's, you're right. Uh, it, it's very, very interesting. I mean, I gotta admit personally, I loved going remote. I would contend, um, that nobody has that, um, has cracked that code. Right. So th there is absolute, when I have. Eight, look, I've sat through some boring workshops in my life, right? And we've been in the in the in the poorly ventilated, you know, conference, <laughs> you know, with the markers that don't work, and you know, it's always too hot or too cold, and yeah, and it's like, okay, <laughs> that. But there's no substitute for you know, ten people in a row, and you know, ask them to close their laptops and focus, and and you know, drive towards a solution on something, right? And there's so many nonverbal cues that, that go into how we communicate that, you know, that, that get extrap like extrapolated and amplified based on the power levels within a room or the, or the expertise levels in a room or whatever. Right. So, or the tenure of someone in the room, like you can never recreate that. I haven't seen any way that anyone's going to recreate that short of put goggles on. Right. Um, and doing something, something meta or whatever, enhanced reality, there's no way to recreate that. And, and I think that the fact that we're all on 10, 12 hours of virtual meetings all day is to, is, is in an attempt or in, as a reaction to try to, try to compensate for the fact that we can't, we aren't down the hall 
anymore. We can't go get a cup of coffee and talk about something and come to some sort of share knowledge or, or come to an understanding or a tacit agreement or whatever. Can't do that anymore, right? It all has to be like this. And we're not two-dimensional. We're not a two-dimensional species. So I don't know what, I don't know when or is it ever, because when or if it ever gets solved, because I think obviously organizations, even ones who are 100% remote, are still creating opportunities for people to get together, for people to engage once a month or whatever. But there's something different between, um, you know, I almost equate it to travel league baseball. You know, now everyone has their six-year-olds in travel league baseball, where when I was... You can't play in the neighborhood on the neighborhood like, team. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> four people who had, you know, like I'm old, I get it, but four people who grew up at a time and in a place where kids went outside and played together in the neighborhood. And that wasn't perfect either. There were bullies. There was hierarchy. There was all kinds of crap that happens when you're a kid. I get that. That happens in travel baseball, too. My brother played. My brother played Division One college football. My dad played Division One college football. It was always assumed that I was going to play Division One college football, and I did. But that I played three sports a year, and I I don't remember my dad coming to practice. To practice, I'm talking about practice, I don't remember coming to practice until I was until until I played in college. He was busy. He, you know, we had seven other kids and, you know, they had things too. And, you know, um, but I played sports all the time, right? Like it was. You just... played what was in season though. You didn't play one sport year yeah. round. No, no, no. I played in season and I played with, you know, and so did a lot of my friends, um, you know, growing up when I was, by the time I hit, you know, but it, look, I, I, the game, obviously, all those games have changed. The investment in it has changed, and and certainly the opportunities are greater for kids than they were. My sit, my older sisters, you know, I I'm the I'm six foot one. I have sisters that are six feet six foot one, but they they played high school pre Title Nine. Uh, they they all would have been college, you know, like full ride college, probably a couple of them Division One, certainly um, athletes in today's world. Um. But back then, it was like, you know, do you even have a team? <laughs> you know, you know, you know. <laughs> well, plan anyone has a team. Yeah. Do you, do you have a team? So, I mean, it was just, it was obviously a different world, but there is a difference between the reason, the reason I create that whole like analogy is there's a difference between everybody planning to get together for a corporate event and a difference between it being life, it being your normal day, right? So, if I were to go into a 200 person office every day, or let's take it even a step further, given that I've been in the technology industry for, for 20 plus years, and a lot of that work was remote, but where you went, you went to the customer place of business. And the more you could be in the customer place of business, the better your life was, the better your relationship with them was, the better your team was, you know, your teams went in, you know, when you delivered a consulting product, you went to the customer place of business. And the more you could embed and, and be part of that, the better, the more stickier you were. First, the better you were at your job, the better you could deliver on their behalf, but then you also became stickier. Again, it's all gone. Like, like yeah. customers aren't in the office or they're, they're on Thursday, right? But Bob doesn't come in on Thursday <laughs> kind of thing, and someone else has a bit. There's no expectation that you're going to be able to immerse into, into your customer's environment anymore. 
other than right. other than what we're sharing right now, this medium. And 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 again, if that's how they interact, that's fine. But you know, there's you're not getting you're not getting all their attention. You're not getting all their focus. You know, they're doing emails while you're on Zoom. You know, it's it's a it's a different world. And I'm saying that I'm not saying that it's that it's bad because I think if you add up, you know, the lack of commute time, the increased family time and availability and the quality of life people are able to live now. And even, you know, the effect on, you know, you know, the, the fewer, fewer emissions going in, like there's so many good things about this mode, mm-hmm. but there is something very essential to employee well-being and belonging and effectiveness um, that comes from trusted relationships and, and learning in person. And I don't, I mean, we saw what had happened to kids when they had to learn remotely, right? That was right. a disaster. It was a disaster. It was almost like. And they didn't understand, like they were at, they're at eye level with it. They're not looking from top down saying, what are we trying to accomplish here? They're just getting through their day. <laughs> they're just showing up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, getting back to that whole self-regulation and learning, <laughs> they were just showing up. You know, we've had teachers say, uh, I think our, I think mine were in six and eight when that happened when the shutdown happened and it was like we had teachers say well you know we've had to kind of you know basically almost do that year old and sit it into the current count it's just not not working so that's education that's learning we get back to whole what your motivation is but i i think that we saw it in, in a very exaggerated form with adolescents who had to learn remotely um and I think we'll we'll start to see that creep into the mainstream mainstream work life at some point, um, where it's either going to be gig economy, you get what you pay for, um, or it's going to be um, people find a way to build belonging and identity through some sort of virtual virtual community that they create within their workplace. That today isn't possible. Like I don't think the tools and the tools and opportunity are there today. But um, it is something that we're all going to have to deal with. Well, you are. You're kind of touching on my next. I mean, so many questions that popped up as you talk. I don't. I don't know where to start. But ideally, how can? How do you see this blending? Because you're never going to get rid of remote. I mean, I don't think we want to get rid of remote work. No, and I don't think we. Also, yeah, I can't. I can't say you have to. You can't even say you have to live in a certain city anymore and attract the kind of talent. So, um, now. So I, I, so I clearly don't know because this is part of the research I'm doing, but you know, but from, you know, qualitative research perspective, but if I were to, if I were to say, if I were, if I were a betting, betting person and I was saying, okay, like here, here's the, here's the trends and, and threads I see. I think one of the reasons everyone, so the ideal world, like I'm hesitant to say that we want to recreate the old world in the in the in the in the metaverse or whatever. Um, I do think augmented and virtual reality are going to play a role here somehow. I think that's a whole new ball of wax. Um, but I think that I think that a lot of people, a lot of people like Mark Zuckerberg and and others are saying, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality is how we're going to try to create some sort of semblance of a workplace um, beyond just the 2D screens that we use today. So 
I don't know if that'll fix the problem. I don't know if that'll create a whole new set of challenges and problems and opportunities, which I'm sure it will. Um, but short of that, because we're a long way from that, right? I mean, we just got everybody internet service like 10 years ago, right? <laughs> so yeah. we're a long way from creating, you know, VR studio. It's that equal. It's, I mean, depending on where you are. Incredibly <laughs> unequal. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. and, and for those of us who live and work in the tech industry, we don't see it, you know, cause you know, that it's, it's, you're surrounded by tech all the time. Um, I mean, I haven't bought my own laptop in 20 years, you know, but I've always had one and, you know, got a couple, but it's like, that's just the way it works. You just, you can't do your job without it. And, and you're expected to be mobile and, and available at all times. So, you know, uh, that's the way it works, but, but walking back from that, okay, how do we utopian in a utopian way, replace the physical world, the virtual world. I think that, I think that there's a few things that people are going to start doing, which is, um, I, I think that there's going to be some office days. And I think that, I think that, I think the, sh the short step is to say once a month, we're going to meet, we're going to be in the same room for, you know, spin off the same room for a couple of days and tackle the big stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that where people can say, where they have a localized enough employee population, they can say, you got to be in two, three days a week. I think that's going to happen. Um, and that they want to still provide autonomy. They want to still provide flexibility. But when I, I'm already hearing, like people, have, it's gone too far. Like, I think you can't unwind it. Um, people already have, you know, even when you give people a month's notice, it's still okay to say, oh, I had to take my kids somewhere, right? I couldn't find someone to watch my dog. Well, that wouldn't have been an acceptable answer in 2019. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. Just it, that it, recently. It, it, <laughs> it would have been unacceptable, right? I mean, things happen. People have families, people have obligations. And, As one-offs, it, it was fine, but, but they but could one -off be your fine. daily or weekly. Yeah. 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 So, so you see already that organizations, and I'm not just, I'm, I'm not talking about my organization. I'm talking about, you know, when I'm having, uh, or, you know, virtual meetings with other people, other organizations or, you know, conference and summit type stuff, you still get that. You still get it. And it's like, okay, well, but you're home every day. <laughs> this is the one day or two days a week. I need you to come in. I need you to be here. I need you to be present. Um, and that's because if the assumption there is I'm doing it for a reason, and then if you're not present, I can't get done what I need you to, what I need you to contribute or whatever. So I, you know, I see people struggling with this. And so what I think is going to happen is either there's going to be some non-negotiable cadence, but it's going to be around big stuff. So it's, we're, we're not recreating the office. It's more like a summit or a kickoff or something, right? Retreats, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and again, that's not the same thing, right? But it's something. It's it, it's a touch point. It's an engagement point. At least you're not 2D anymore, right? I mean, I managed a global team of 70 people for nine months that I'd never met. Um, and, and it was good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, what did that look like? How did that? 
are you just looking at metrics then and and is somebody seems to be struggling in coaching yeah or? well one it was it was it was a little it was a little complicated but um the my european teams were pretty well established and had good leaders and um for whatever and they were and they were there was a bit of a honeymoon because they're they're happy i was there right um in the in the u.s and north america it was a little bit of a rebuild and that was difficult that was difficult so you know in that case you're kind of trying to bring in your own folks um yeah that you already know you already trust right so um even though you're 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 managing them virtually you know you already know each other so you know that's kind of works so um it was it was it was it was it was a unique challenge. There were all sorts of challenges with that with that role and that time within that company. Um, but when we finally met each other, like when we finally had an opportunity to go to the Amazon conference or whatever, guys were, you know, there were people who were taller than I thought they were. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like just usually be, I was like, I did not think you were six four. I gotta tell you. Like, yeah. And, and just, you know, again, like body language is different and you know getting out and operating outside of a 2D screen. It was just, it was crazy because you kind of felt you knew these people already nine months mm -hmm. together, you know, um, but you didn't. And, you know, you probably accomplished more on a per on personal level and in a, in a, you know, interpersonal, interpersonal relationship basis, accomplished more in that weekend than, you know, the previous nine months, but that's kind of, that's kind of how it works. So, I don't know. Back to your, your your original question, I think that ultimately there's going to be some metaverse aspect of things. I think people are going to engineer it's engineered interaction is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Is happening already. Um, and then I think, you know, where people can be localized, they're going to try to drive some sort of some sort of partial partial like day to day office environment. I almost don't know. It's kind of like it's a race against the clock to see how quickly people just say, well, then let's, we're not renewing the lease to something else or right. no, we, I mean, we out the lease. seeing yeah. commercial real estate struggle right now everywhere. Yeah. 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 I have no, I have no idea how anybody sells commercial real estate. I have no idea how you get commercial real estate funded. I have no idea. Like, cause I go downtown Chicago and you know, there used to be hundreds of thousands of people getting out of the train station, walking to work every day. And you know, there's, there's some people down, you know, there's some people working downtown in the offices, but it's just, I mean, there's hospitals and there's all sorts of things that require people to be there, but it's, there's, they're like most of the offices you go into, you know, you're one of five people in this big empty office and it just doesn't, there's no reason to have it. Like, you know, you go into a WeWork and it's just, it's a couple of people having coffee. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Might as well be a Starbucks. You'd have more people in this if you put a Starbucks up. So, um, yeah, and how that works. So, yeah, things are going to have to change. One of the things that I um, that I actually talked to one of my professors at USC was, to be fair, you have certain expectations going into a doctoral program, and when your professors are learning how to zoom at the same, like you know just all of us were, we're like, oh, you know, this isn't working or my internet or whatever. And I'm like, you know, that's okay. That's okay. Like, cause this was right after, like right after, you know, the, the pandemic 
uh, the first wave of, you know, everyone going virtual and everything. I said, but, you know, I've worked in a lot, like I've, I would have never, I would have never, if I was making a sales presentation, I would never have settled for the experience I had the first, you know, couple weeks, right? Like mm-hmm. that's not my expectation, right? I, and I go, because I'm in the tech industry and because I, you know, I work for companies that are based in Silicon Valley, I expect everything to be a TED talk, you know, <laughs> I, know I expect a performance when I log in. And I know that's not, I know that's not realistic because one, that's not a, you know, having that level of communication and presentation skills isn't a prerequisite for being a professor, being a, you know, being a doctor of college or education. You know, again, they're used to dealing with people one-on-one. They're used to being within their, you know, their classrooms, their, um, their lecture halls with assistance, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this was all, and now they're, you know, they're, they're living in Palm Springs and the internet's not that good. And, you know, they're trying to get their laptop and they can't shoot. And I'm they like, can't read the room because that's. <laughs> they can't read the room because, yeah. you know, as much as we're supposed to, leave, you know, there are people who still turn their cameras off. Right. And, you know, whatever. And it's like, you know, my, my recommendation was you guys got to figure it out um, because this is only going to get more competitive. And when I log in, it should look like, I mean, you know, just go watch Twitch, go watch, go, you know, there are radio programs that, that live stream and live cast. You need a you need a producer for every class that's happening. There has to be somebody that's handling the technology, and you should probably have a couple of cameras. Like you should probably have, you know, you should still have a podium. Like I shouldn't feel like my instructor is sitting at a dining room table. I should feel like they're at a podium somewhere, and it, maybe it can be a fake background. I don't, but I mean, like, you know, that you should coordinate with. Um... Christina Bellatoni, she's a professor at USC. Uh, she was the second guest on my podcast. She uh, she's a friend of a friend, um, and she's uh, she teaches her students production value and that kind of thing. I mean, she she <laughs> she's like if if you've yeah. taken a full time class, you know they've got three cameras, right? And and you know, it's on an exercise bike. I'm not trying to learn. Like I'm not trying to learn. And and. and there's so much more what the in, in education what they call scaffolding, you know. You've got kind of a dashboard of of you know on the on the bike. That's the kind of experience that needs to be recreated. Um, yeah, you know, in in online education, and it, it doesn't exist right now. I I would I would almost guarantee you that aside from maybe you know, well, you can't really do performing arts virtually. Almost, you know, there are MBA classes, there are doctoral classes, and they're happening just like this. People on laptops talking to each other via Zoom or WebEx or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. But then they'll say, watch this, uh, watch this TED Talk as part of, you know, as part of our curriculum, you know, to hear different voices, different perspectives on, perspectives on things. And you look and you see that, okay, well, that's very compelling. I'm watching this. I'm watching this thing through the same medium as the class I'm taking, why it's so much more compelling, right? So I think that, I think that there's a way to go there. And I think, but I think that that production level, I mean, if you, if you, now again, we're talking about something completely different, but if you talk about Peloton and the brand that they've been able to establish, the connective, I guarantee, and maybe some people are loony, 
but I guarantee there are people that feel like they know that instructor, that they have a, right. they, it might be one way only, right? Sure. But, um, but I guarantee that there's some people that kind of think of this person, that they have some, some sort of connection with this person, right? Right. Well, just like people felt like they knew Walter Cronkite or they felt like they knew, you know, exactly. he was in their home every night. Yeah. Engender, and engender Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, the way that they feel they identify with an artist because the lyrics speak to them, right? Like there's, mm -hmm. there's all sorts of ways that we can act and bond and imprint on people. Um, and I think those are the things, whether they're production value or different ways of engaging that I think are going to be more important as... You know, I'm not just building a team of people that I'm, I'm zooming with, but I've known for 10 years. <laughs> like right. that's, when that's no longer the norm, and then we're, you know, we're going to have to figure it out. I think that might be something that my company has that might be part of the secret sauce is, you know, we're kind of a startup that's been around for 20 years. <laughs> so, uh, the, the, the founder and the core people that originally worked for the company most are still here yeah one left because she started a family and once her kids were at a certain age she's come back you know um as as a leader in the company and so they had this gelled established trust and so and whenever they did go remote for the pandemic and then they start hiring people who are still the southeast but remote or somebody moves then it just, it was an easier progression because everything that you said, I agree with. And I, it's like, how, what, why, why are we different? Why is it working here? I mean, it's not perfect, but, but that, who's got it perfect, right? Right. Um, and, it, and it's, and I, you know, and I don't think it's because I had, um, I had a conversation not too long ago with someone who's like, I don't know, this is the best life I've ever had. I don't know why, because we started talking about this. She's like, I don't even know why you're worried about it. I'm like, well, you have a family. You moved from LA to Phoenix. You know, you, 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 you're able to, you know, you're able to improve your financial situation. You improved your family situation. Like everything, every, there's all of the benefits of remote work are yours, but you are, but you are also, you're a specialist in the, uh, <laughs> In, in the healthcare uh, payer pay provider world, and you know you can do what you do from from Mars. It doesn't matter, and and customers be happy to get what fraction of time in your brain they can pick via whatever medium. You know they they pick up two tin cans with a string attached and pay for it because you're that good. You are you know point oh 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 one percent of the world, right? And and you know. The reason you're able to do that is that you didn't have to work, rem you didn't have to go to school and work remotely when you were 23. <laughs> yeah. Hey, right? like you, you might've never gotten to this point in your life, right? If you've well, and all those formative years to engage with mentors and people and learn and, you know, experience, experience how those systems and ecosystems worked. Right. So when you initially talked about um being 23 essentially coming out of college working at your sister's company um which is very cool that she just opened a software company um 
the one of the key things that I think I latched onto was where you said, you know, it was very almost consultative. So you aren't, you know, your your type of selling was identifying what was scaring that that customer. Yeah. And and helping solve that problem, presenting a solution that they were happy to buy because they trusted you, because you were in their office drinking their coffee out of the bun coffee maker, talking to them about this stuff. Um but if we go into a situation where you're commanded to be in the office two days a week or three days a week, that's very precious time. The management probably isn't gonna want the salesperson in there drinking their coffee, yucking it up with people. How do you see that affecting industries that way? Well, I don't I don't know. I think it depends. I mean, I think there's there's always a point at which you do want a salesperson. I mean, you do want the, the salesperson and the team they represent, right? To be there. Maybe their salesperson, but not an inbound. Yeah. <laughs> not not someone from the outside. I think I think I think that I think it's gonna be a balance. You're right. There there might be there might be a double edged sword to that where they're like, Hey, you can only be we can only be here for two days and uh, we don't have time for salespeople, but there could also be a situation where they're like, well, now that we're all together, let's, you know, let's, let's have a series of meetings with these, with these suppliers and vendors and, and consultants so that yeah. we can, you know, get somewhere. That's smart. That's good. Yeah. Okay. So out of everything that you've told me, out of everything that you're learning from, you know, other people in this program, from, uh, I think I said it wrong before. Wipro. Is that right? Um, yeah. What are you hopeful for? What are you excited about? And and what are you wary of? Or I don't want to say scared of, but wary of. Um. Um. Well, this. I mean, I think that. So if if I were to say, what am I most concerned of? I'm most concerned. You know, it's no mystery that we are a very fractured society right now. And I think that a lot of, uh, we can filter our media to the point where we only hear the voices we want to hear and only the voices that reinforce already our preconceived notions. And I think that, I think that when you had, um, when you had a, a place of work that you go to that became part of your life. It became part of your socialization and you, you know, to the extent it was diverse, you got a lot of different points of view. And I think that we're, if we don't, and we're never recreating that again, no one's ever going to start going to the offices for five days a week and say, that's where business is done. Right. What have we lost? Right. So just like establishing trust is, a challenge. Um, getting a diversity of opinions is going to be a challenge too. I mean, you know, I had a, I had a conversation with someone um, from one of my customers who said, you know, we have this diversity, equity, and inclusion program, just like most organizations have. And they're like, I mean, uh, it's ch the challenge is if I'm trying to change hearts and minds, I can't do it. It's hard to do via Zoom. Right, <laughs> by being together, by having lunch together, by what you know, being in that conference room and you know, accomplishing things together. 
and having holding a door open for someone. Yeah. <laughs> door, you know, make you know, having a coffee, and and that that creates the space for exchange. That creates the space for understanding. And if all I'm getting is a DEI presentation from HR, while I also have the TV on and I'm also tweet, you know, tweeting, like, why bother? Right? Why bother? You're not going to change anyone's work minds that way. So, I think that that's one of the things that I think uh, has been lost in that. Where I think that, forget about let's let's pretend the the, the DEI movement never happened. Let's but go back 10, 15 years where everyone was in the same space and lived, breathed the same air, you're better off than having a formal DEI program in a world where everybody's 2D, you know, time sliced on Zoom. So that's one of the bigger, I think everybody's that's just getting bigger. lectured at. <laughs> yeah. but, but, no, I, I, people aren't the way they think about, you know, like the FBI, for God's sakes. You think they're going to change? If they don't already have a capacity. <laughs> Yeah, they're not going to change. So, um, I think that's that's a that's a big challenge. That's something that that I that uh, that does come up. Well, I can see that specifically. I mean, speech one hundred and one is know your audience, and if you can't know your audience because you just got, you know, plucked and put into the spot, <laughs> you don't know if they're saying, "I already know all this. I don't need to listen," or you don't know. Nonverbal cues. You know, exactly. oh my god! You know, that's not it's not there, right? It's hard. It's very hard. It's hard so to know where to start. Yeah, it is. So yeah. that's one thing. Well, what are you excited about? So what I'm excited about is the unknown. Like I'll throw, I'll throw like if I I don't I'll throw you know generative AI. You know the whole ChatGPT revolution that's happening. I think that. I think that so when I'm I'm old enough to remember when the internet was new, no, unfortunately, um, and I remember when people I remember having a, a, I worked for an internet consulting company and I remember my CEO talking to a customer and saying, "You're thinking about this all wrong. The internet isn't just about how I publish, you know, how how I put things that I print onto a web page. That's <laughs> not what the internet is. The internet is a way of interacting. It's a way of it's commerce. It's everything, right?" And he used the analogy that, of course, it's very widely used analogy, but people looked at electric light as a, as, a, as a replacement for candles, right? So, but electricity turned out to be a little bit more than that, right? And so I feel like right. we're at this, we're at this place where, look, and again, until 36 months ago or whatever, the last, you know, less than three years, um, I guess three years in a month. Nobody operated. The, the world didn't operate the way that it operates now. So now it operates differently, and we all have. And I think that there's some excitement in that because that level of sort of upheaval and disruption creates opportunity, and it'll it'll create opportunities that perhaps we didn't. Well, it's certain to create opportunities that we didn't even have in mind, right? Um, yeah. So I think that we're on. I feel like we're on this precipice of like a whole or a threshold of a whole new world and a whole bunch of, you know, there's a lot of scary in there. Right. But there's also, there's also a lot of things that are, are, you know, it's like we just discovered a new world or something that's, you know, that we're going to be here for. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is very cool. 
Well, wow. Thank you so much for your time. I mean, I, uh, I know you've got, you've got other pressing things, but, um, you know, if you ever have time to, to do this again, uh, I've got at least, you know, 14 other things that came to mind as we talked. Well, absolutely. Mary Beth, this was a pleasure. It was great. It was great to talk yeah. to you. And, um, you know, I love what you're doing. And uh, yeah, if you want to do it again, I'm, I'll be, I can be a friend of the show. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you'll be my one friend of the show. Yeah, great job. <laughs> Every show needs a friend. All right. Hey, thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate your time today. And, uh, you know, if there's anything my tiny network can do to help, just don't be shy. <laughs> absolutely. That's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank Take care. you. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to be a top performer on this podcast, or if you know someone you'd like to recommend, please reach out to me directly or feel free to make an introduction. Um, I'm excited to talk to all top performers from all walks of life. Thanks again.